Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. Oh, Ryan! This is Buddy Franklin! This is the greatest showman! Got the handball off to Myers. Myers looking for the lead of Stengel. Gee, they're good. Gee, they're sharp. Randall Gazzarioli. Oh, who else? McDonald. Timberwolf. From inside the centre square. Whatever time of day it may be to you, this is episode number 116 of Americans Watching the Footy. I am Ethan Castle coming to you from North Dakota. Yeah, really. Not even the best Dakota, according to some. Where in North Dakota are you to be exact? Technically, I think the mailing address for this casino and hotel I'm saying that is Hankinson. Basically right at the border with South Dakota and not that far from the line with Minnesota either. I mean, it seems like most of North Dakota is just outside Minnesota. Most of the populated parts, at least. Exactly. Fargo, Grand Forks. I'm Benjamin Castle in South San Francisco, California, as per usual. This will be our last remote show for a while, unless we list special as necessary, which we haven't had one all season, have we? No, we had one. That's right. What? Yeah, that was back in around, what, nine? I don't know. It all kind of blends in. I think... It's fair to say that we are at the point of the season now where you can actually call games must win without using too much hyperbole. We're past the two-thirds point of the home and away season. Amazingly, still, just 10 points separate 4th and 15th, and that's the closest those spots have ever been with eight games to go in the 18-team era. We'll get things underway with our penultimate Thursday night footy installment of the year. Which makes me sad. It'll be Richmond hosting Sydney at the MCG. This one is special because it is likely to be Buddy Franklin's final game at the G. I mean, there's an outside chance the Swans could have a final there, but should at least be his final home and away game at the legendary venue. This one will be your usual Thursday night, 7.20 p.m. on Australia's East Coast, 5.20 a.m. on America's East Coast, 2.20 a.m. on America's West Coast. It's another Fox Soccer Plus game. Both clubs enter at 6, 8, and 1. Percentage puts the Swans in 13th and the Tigers in 15th. You've got four clubs now with that extra one in their win-loss record because we had another draw last week. The Swans drawing with Geelong, a game that they really should have seized, while Richmond got blasted at the Gala. So we've got three teams at 6, 8, and 1, and one at 7, 7, and 1. A lot of times, it's like once you have a draw, percentage isn't really... Well, it could still be for these teams, especially considering all of them are currently outside the eight. These teams met already once this year in the Gather when Sydney pulled away late. They lost Joel Amarty to a hamstring injury, but their smaller forwards gave Richmond a lot of trouble and the Tigers couldn't really adjust. It was a six-goal game for Tom Papley, and in a theme that was pretty common with the Tigers early in the year, they lost composure, which corresponded with when Trent Cotchin got subbed out. Yeah, Tom Pavley scoring six. You know he likes celebrating his goals. He could have been the main character of that round before we ended up with the all-team-should-merge guy. 
In terms of on the oval actions during the gather round, Packley was the main character. The Swamp, uh, actually, Harry Himmelberg. Right, and we'll actually mention what he did in the gather round in a little bit because we've got the Giants rematch from that round as well. As the Tigers look to snap a three-game head-to-head losing streak, they should be regaining Dustin Martin from illness, so likely means that Noah Cumberland makes way for him. We heard earlier the year that Cumberland was behind Martin. I don't think it's that black and white now, but it is the most logical move to make, considering Cumberland was an emergency last week. Dion Prestia to return from his calf injury. Jacob Hopper took his place last week. Look forward to Prestia, Hopper, and Martin all going through the middle along with Tim Toretto and getting a glimpse at what this kind of transition-era Tigers midfield could be at their best. But the bigger story in terms of ins this week for Richmond are their double debutantes. 2021 pick number 29, Jacob Bauer, and 2022 midseason pickup, Sam Banks. Bauer kicked his second after the siren winner in the VFL last week against the Brisbane Lions. He'd already kicked one against the Giants. Do Australians watch 24? I'm not sure. I know that you and Dad were really invested in that show during its original run. And towards the end, it got, like, way too cheesy, but it was fun. Let's see, it looks like it was at least released in full on Leia. Why'd you bring up 24? Because Bauer. Ah, of course. Kind of sickening that, you know, Jack Bauer, this American hero, was played by a Canadian. A Canadian nepo, baby, it's that. I mean, don't get me wrong, Kiefer Sutherland's a very gifted actor, like... If I know about you, you're a big-time actor. But yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping you can just pour on the 24 references. We'll certainly try to. I think it would be really fun if, like, our audience has no idea what the hell we're talking about. I think that makes it better. I think at this point, whatever we talk about, Bauer, we might just need to have the clock sound in the background. Oh, I was, I was thinking about Chloe, but that worked. Biggest injury news for Richmond is that Jaden Short is out four to six weeks with his hamstring injury, so... Tigers will need to figure out a way to cover some of the longer kicking that he's been able to put on both into the 50 and in terms of scoring for range as well. Yeah, I think he's been a really valuable piece of this club that in the last couple of years has gotten more and more attention as other players have either faded or retired or moved on. And that's going to be a tough spot to fill. On the Sydney side, Chad Warner's going to miss again with his calf injury. Joel Amarty is being managed this week. That's already been established. I guess that makes it easier for Buddy to return. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a like-for-like move. My favorite Swans news of the week by far, time for Tom McCartan to get back in from his concussion. I would go for McCartan in for Francis. Melgan's clearly done a better job covering one-on-one matchups since he came in, and Francis, we've found more often a liability than not, although he had a better game this past Friday. I bet you're also excited to see McCartan back in because he's a Geelong Falcon, and you're holding on to that tiny sliver of hope. You know, I don't really think about that because we have our set of taller defenders, but it's just, it's nice that he's back in. When the Swans were at their best last year, he and Callum Mills were really joint defensive leaders. I just associated two McCartneys together more than anything. I thought of Mills more as a ball mover than dropping back defensively. One thing I really liked out of the Swans this past week was Nick Lakey finally getting into a more physical defensive role instead of just being a ball mover. Not that he's normally asked to be in that role. It'll be asked to do that less. 
with McCartan back, but it was nice to see him adapt to that. Yeah, I mean, I thought of McCartan as the intercepting aerial leader and Mills as more of the mover, along with Blakey a little bit further downfield. Tigers are favored by five and a half. Considering the ends for Sydney, it makes this a little bit tougher to tip, but I do think Richmond will win this game probably between two and three goals. I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I think we're getting closer to a healthy Swans team, one that, aside from not being able to kick between the posts last week, was probably the better team. So I don't know. I also hope that this gets a really good crowd. We know that there have been some problems with Thursday night crowds in the past few years, but considering the two clubs that are playing and the Buddy storyline, I think this has potential to be a really good turnout. I hope so. So Thursday night footy's at the G. Friday night footy is at Marvel Stadium, and it should be pretty full for the Bulldogs hosting the Magpies. Interesting fact, there's only that one game at the G this entire round. We've got three at Marvel, but only one at the MCG. Other interesting fact, which has nothing to do with footy, North Dakota is my 37th state, and I'll have visited another seven in a few weeks. I I had no other place to really include that and just wanted to make sure that it was acknowledged. It's impressive. You're three quarters done. I mean, the Bulldogs basically never play home games at the G unless it's finals. I guess that you could be surprised for Essendon to not get a home game against the Crows, but they were just at home against Ports. I feel bad for the Crows with how little they do play at the G, though. Yeah, I guess it makes sense just with who's at home this week, but it's still odd to only have one at the G and yet have three at Marvel. Well, look, they're not going to put Geelong and North at the G. Yeah, it's, just, it's it's an odd mix of who's who's at home this week. Bulldogs and Collingwood will bounce at 7.50 p.m. local time, as per usual on Friday night. T.A.M. Eastern, 2.50 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports 2. I'm glad that we consistently get these Friday night games. They tend to be scheduled pretty well. Best of all, we get much more of the halftime coverage and such from 7 because, you know, watch AFL as much as I love it. We pre- it pretty much is just Fox footy and the only actual 7 stuff you get is the in-game content and then maybe like two minutes of post-game interviews. Yeah, I think the Channel 7 halftime and post-game commentary is much more akin to what you'd get on American networks for American football, for example. I, I like some of the stuff, like seeing the lighter side of players, seeing them joke around, learning different things about them. However, when it's a game in Queensland or New South Wales, I definitely appreciate Fox footy because it means even if it's a seven game, Alistair Lynch is there. Alistair Lynch, the hardest working man in footy? I, I think so. You know, it's funny, We, I understand that Buddy is probably a sport that's easier to broadcast from a studio sometimes than in person, but it's like, you know, we only get like three or four broadcast teams, whereas like the NFL each week, you know, you've got a broadcast team for each game. Over the course of a 16-game NFL week, you'll probably have 14 or 15 different broadcast teams. And I, I wouldn't mind if we had, if we had more. It also just allows those broadcasters to focus more on that single game they're covering. Exactly. That's that's really a big part of it to me. The Bulldogs enter at 9-6 and six in 6th after defeating Frio. They completed the season sweep of the Dockers last week. Collingwood remained in first on the ladder and boosted their percentage even further with a convincing win on the Gold Coast in front of a pretty nice crowd, despite 
some flight cancellations. Last year, though, the dogs defeated the Pies at Marvel. It was another Collingwood home loss at Marvel, a 48-point win for the Bulldogs, where it could have been a lot more considering they kicked 14-15, but it was never close. Six goals to one in the first quarter. That was also Collingwood's last loss until round 22. As well as the Bulldogs' defense played last week, they could get a big this week if Ed Richards is indeed back from that hamstring injury. He appears to be ahead of schedule. From the VFL, Oscar Baker and Sam Darcy each played well. Also, Buku Thomas, who we thought his future was going to be as a defender, uh, he kicked four goals. I'm still not sure. Between Thomas and Darcy and a few others, they have a bunch of talls that really don't have defined roles. And that can allow them to be more flexible in terms of playing Aaron Naughton more forward where he belongs, while still sometimes rotating him to center half back. There are a lot of guys that you could rotate in and out. We've been talking for the past few weeks about Darcy being a potential boost to their defensive ranks, even though he's got generally good goal-kicking form as well. Just having that extra tall in there, maybe being able to cover somewhat of that Liam Jones deep fullback role. I get this thing that they're re-entering this position where like they've got too many talls to know what to do with and I think someone's gonna either get underutilized or go unnoticed and I think it's gonna be detrimental to them and I think it's gonna be Darcy and maybe Rory Bob I mean we've already seen him in some weird slots this year on the Collingwood side you know this is a team that's had really good health for a while which fits with the team playing as well as they have usually playing well and good health kind of go hand in hand but they finally got a pretty sizable injury list, including some pretty key pieces being added to that this week. We've seen Brayden Maynard laboring through a shoulder injury for much of the Pies game this past round. He's been ruled out. So has Brody Mycheck with a hamstring injury. He'd been a bit quieter in the past couple weeks as well. So a couple really important spots to fill, particularly Maynard. The physicality and longer kick accuracy he brings have been vital to Collingwood's play style really since he came into the AFL. Could definitely help that Jordan DeGoe is coming back from suspension. Does he start a little further back or maybe you could put Taylor Adams into a bit more of that role? Could also preserve him a bit considering he's had some injury issues these past couple of years between concussion and groin problems. In terms of the forward mix, we thought maybe Nathan Kruger could be considered. Then we remembered it's Nathan Kruger, and he was bound to get hurt again before being considered. He's concussed. He and Elliot Yo have stuck in really similar situations there. The glass bones and paper skin brigade. And it sucks because, as I've said many times with Kruger, I like watching him play. Dan Stay was out with illness this past week, and that's why he didn't play for the reserves. But apparently he's available now, so... Does he come straight back in then? I don't know what the heck they're going to do with him. It's weird. His injury is a more unique one with it being a, a problem with a tendon in his finger. And he'd had a couple setbacks already in this. So I guess they'll have to, to weigh the merits of you know having him in right away for the club and you know put that against whatever timeline he had for recovery. It was supposed to be a lot shorter of a process than it's been. A few weeks shorter, yes. If McStay isn't good to go, or they want to get him back in through the reserves, Reef McGinnis kicked 6-3 this past week against Frankston. I am the Reef McGinnis liker. My my opinions there are known. 
you also had the very correct opinion that he sounds like a detective that would appear on SpongeBob. I said that. He also just kind of sounds like kind of like a made up villain name or something. Reef McGinnis just screams like a detective on SpongeBob, maybe like on a TV show. Ooh, yeah, like you know, SpongeBob and Patrick are all excited to go see the Reef McGinnis movie or something, or they want to solve mysteries like he does. Do we now need to commission a Collingwood fan to do some artwork for us? Sure. I don't know. It was not a question I was prepared for. I don't know. I might try my hand at it. Normal names otherwise for Collingwood continuing to push their case for selection, but there's not much room for a lot of them. I mean, I guess Maynard being out could allow for Trent Bianco or Finn McRae to make their way back in. Same deal every week with guys like that and Josh Carmichael. Ed Allen and Jacob Ryan, their draft picks for the past year. People probably know these names right now just because they see them in, you know, in the mix discussions and maybe as emergencies. I'm thinking also this is a way for Harvey Harrison to come back into the 22. He was the sub last week, rightfully switched Bo McCreary in ahead of him. As much as I like Harrison, McCreary's got to be in there from the beginning. He is the Pies pressure leader, and you can tell how much they missed that against the Crows a couple weeks back. No fault to Harrison there, as as we've said. Made it quite clear that it's just McCreary's pretty vital. Collingwood favored by 11 and a half. You know, I, I get this weird feeling. I think the injuries are going to hold them back, but I also get this feeling that the Bulldogs are just going to play like a frustrating game after they played such a solid game last week. I can't expect them to do that again. Hence why I think the Pies do handle this one. I do think the Pies win it as well. I think it's going to be a combination of Bulldog and accuracy and Collingwood holding their own in close games. I don't know. I feel like this one might not be that close. I feel like they win it by closer to 20. You know what? I bet it's like 12 or 14 or something like that. And then they get a goal after the siren. Moving on to Saturday. Brisbane hosting West Coast at the Gabba because the Lions are not allowed to face West Coast at Optus Stadium. Has not happened at Optus Stadium six year history, and it may never happen at this point. It is the weirdest fucking thing. I've, I've, we comment on it way more frequently than I'm sure anyone else does. Meanwhile, the Lions and Dockers double up somewhat regularly. Anyway, this is your... Saturday matinee. Last week, you had two Saturday early games. This week, we're back to having two Saturday late games. So this will be your 1.45 p.m. start in Queensland, 11.45 a.m. in Western Australia, 11.45 p.m. on the East Coast of the United States, and 8.45 p.m. on the West Coast. A Fox Soccer Plus broadcast, as is normal for that early window. The Lions are eight points clear of fourth place now. You got Collingwood and Port together, Brisbane two games back of that, and then fourth and fifth two games further back of them. The Eagles put up a damn good fight last week, but couldn't hold it together in the fourth quarter where they were held goalless and lost to the Saints by eight. I don't know what I think they're going to do this week. There's a chance that they put up a decent performance. I mean, obviously not as good as what they'll do against the Saints. We know how difficult that trip is to the Gabba. I also can see it not being as bad as the 75-point defeat they suffered last year, in which Hugh McCluggage had his first ever four-goal game at AFL level. That game also felt way more lopsided than 75. And there's still, of course, the possibility that last week was a complete anomaly, and it was mostly St. Kilda's doing that caused the Eagles to play so well, and the Lions just put up 240 this week and set the record. That said, Brisbane are going to be missing a few pieces 
Josh Dunkley's out one to two weeks with a calf injury. Cal Achi got concussed last week. Lincoln McCarthy got suspended for striking Camp McIntosh. So there are a couple of logical ins. Uh, they've been handling Dane Zorgo very, very gingerly, and he should be back this week. Kyle Lohman should also be able to get back in. Uh, down to the VFL, Blake Coleman and Jared Lyons have been playing pretty well. The question would be, you know, could this be a return for Jack Gunston or Daniel Rich, possibly? Maybe. I'm keen on seeing Blake Coleman join his brother at the AFL level, as opposed to the Blake Coleman who is, is he a Calgary Flames still? I don't know, but I was just thinking it would be really fun if at some point he played against Darcy Tucker. Another also NHL name, although Darcy Tucker was from about, what, a decade ago or even more than than that at this point. He was a very physical player. His final NHL game was in 2010. So actually, his final NHL game was when the Avalanche got eliminated by the San Jose Sharks that season. I remember that being a weird six-game playoff series. I was at game two of that series, all-time iconic game. I remember game three more because of the only goal being an own goal in overtime. I like that the Sharks then responded to that by just winning the next six games in a row. Tim Kelly and Luke Edwards were illness outs last week for the Eagles. Those were later outs. I mean, I like that that brought Ryan Merrick back in because he had another pretty solid game. Hopefully he isn't one of the selection victims this week. I guess Jack Darling being questionable with a shoulder issue could help Merrick stay in. There was a concern for Darling around the AC joint when he came down from a marquee attempt in the second half. The biggest injury news, though, was that Jeremy McGovern could finally get back from the hamstring injury he suffered. Guess when? Round three. That second quarter in the Western Derby was a bloodbath in terms of how many key injuries the Eagles suffered. And I guess it spilled into the second half because I think Jamie Cripps broke his ankle in the third. Cripps had a damn good return last week, kicking a goal and laying 14 tackles. I hope that the remainder of the year, the Eagles have a few more games akin to last week where it's like you see a healthier version of the team that, you know, not good, but competitive because that's how they were tracking to start the year. I want another win or two. I honestly don't mind if they lose the spoon, even though they could get good return on a package for the first take if they decide to let Harley Reed play in Victoria. The big question is, how much do they value the Western prospects? I want to go back and watch these past couple games that Western Australia played in the under-18 boys' championships. Defeating South Australia and then only losing to Vic Country by two would be a good way for me to learn about some of the prospects that the Eagles and Frio are looking to get after. I know that Nathan and Emma O'Driscoll's brother is one of the ones that's in the mix. Are those available through Watch AFL? I think it's through the AFL website. Gotcha. If they are available to us, if if I guess maybe our VPNs have to be good enough. I was also wondering, looking at Western stuff, how much are the Eagles scouting the waffle guys each week that are kicking their asses? I mean, I feel like they have to be. I'm wondering also what the Eagles end up doing with Harry Barnett. Had limited time as the sub last week. It's awkward to have a ruck as a sub. And with some more players available, do they elevate him, maybe give Jack, maybe bring Jack Williams back down, which would be really tough after the game that he had. It's a weird spot with three rucks having been in the 23 last week. That seems like something that usually ends up solving itself. 
Like you look at North Melbourne situation there earlier this year. I mean, that was kind of solved by injury. Exactly. One way or another, it'll get thin. How about this 82 and a half point line in favor of the Brisbane Lions? I think this is the largest line we've ever seen on Bovana. Yeah, I don't know if we've ever even seen anything above 70. First time for everything. We can already discuss the potential outcomes here, which is anything from 30 to 200 for the margin. I feel like it's going to be probably pretty close to this. I would probably take it down by about a goal, but like no more than that. So here's that other Gather round. rematch. The middle game on Saturday is one that delivered far above our expectations and probably anybody's expectations in round five. It was the second AFL game at Norwood, and it was somehow better than the first one, which was pretty good on its own. So GWS and Hawthorne played this week at the show Brown Giants Stadium, 4.35 p.m. local, so 2.35 a.m. Eastern, 11.35 p.m. Pacific, still on Friday for American audiences. A Fox Soccer Plus broadcast, but I'm going to try and get some friends tuned into this one because I think they will really like Greater Western Sydney. Also, our Nigerian audience should tune in. It'll be 7.35 a.m. there when this one gets underway. You know what? I bet there is a good Australian rules base in Nigeria just with how big their population is. It's still one of the fastest growing countries despite how populous it already is. Giant Center at 7 and 8. They are in 10. GWS is half game better than Carlton, Sydney, and Richmond. And they're in that position because they grinded out a win in Alice Springs. Josh Kelly stood up with that 60-meter roller. A game that they did not deserve to win, let's be real. Hey, they won a clunker. And I think they adapted to the conditions better. That I will give them. Um, one thing that I didn't talk about when we went over this game in our round 16 recap was how awesome Callum Brown was. We've kind of been championing him for a long time, and he finally got some more forward time and made good on it in a game with very few goals being scored. He was one of the more refreshing presences there. Hawthorne are 4-11. They were soundly defeated by the Blues this past week. I expect them to respond pretty well to that. They've played three really shitty halves of football in a row, so I would expect them to cook up something better. I mean, it'll be hard to top, again, the two-pointer that they played at Norwood Round 5. It was Aaron Cadman's debut. He got a goal. That was also Seamus Mitchell's debut for Hawthorne. He got a ridiculous amount of tickets for that. But it was Harry Hillberg who ended up defining that game. He took one of the best marks of the year that somehow didn't even win for that round over James Sicily before kicking the go-ahead goal with 90 seconds left and got back in defense and got his fingertips on Jarman Impey's kick to force him behind to preserve the Giants' lead. It was a hell of a mark if it happened at any time in the game, and that it happened in that situation made it even better. You were obsessing, I remember that recap, about how Harry Himmelberg made these insane plays a couple minutes and a tenth of a mile apart. Yeah, just the distance between the two, I think, is the coolest aspect. Should note that the Hawks are working against history this week. They have never won in their five games at the showground. For GWS, they're going to get Lockie Whitfield back from his suspension for a dangerous tackle. Uh, sounds like Brent Daniels is close to coming off his hamstring injury, but... Not like he's going to be rushed in. Uh, James Peatling was very good in the VFL, as was Phil Davis kind of doing a rehab assignment. We could finally get to see 
all of Phil Davis, Nick Haynes, and Sam Taylor together. I thought Haynes was really strong last week, so that would be a lot of fun. Also, speaking of VFL defenders, I didn't think he'd kind of be bogged down on the list just by how well other guys have performed because we thought that this team was going to have major issues defensively. But Jason Gilby did recur- return from concussion. Don't forget, I am big fan of the milkman. You should be too. Y'all? Yeah, if, if you're not, you're probably just a bad person. When's the last time we saw a completely healthy and, you know, like actual best six in the back for the Giants? It could finally be nearing that, which would be great. I would love to finally see Phil Davis get back in and be able to hold his spot, just his health finally being able to keep him in. And he doesn't have to be the main guy, of course. That's Sam Taylor's job. And, you know, Davis and Haynes have the extra hide and a bit extra reach because of that. So they can still take important matchups, but Taylor can still be the defensive leader. It would also be really nice because we know Davis is getting towards the end of his career and it would be fun to see him kind of symbolically passing the torch along there. Hawthorne should be getting Tyler Brockman and the aforementioned Jarman Impey back into the lineup. Brockman was out sick last week. It was a back injury for Impey. We also might finally see, speaking of defenders, the return of Chaikot Jaff because CJ played in the VFL last round, rehabbing from a hamstring injury. He suffered all the way back in round nine. I believe it was round nine. Also, this is going to be like my fifth or sixth week of begging them to let Cooper Stevens play. Down to the VFL, Cam McKenzie played well, Henry Hustwaite played well, and then Denver Granger Barras, who I really consider to be like in that interchangeable Mac group, kind of a quad A guy. Yeah, they sent him forward and he kicked four goals against Port Melbourne. Maybe it could be a new spot for it. Maybe. Maybe they, you know, keep him down there for a couple weeks, see if that can stick. I mean, they're looking for anyone who can kick straight, so that would... Yeah, I mean, other other than Mitch Lewis and... I mean, I guess right now you got the mix of Mitch Lewis, Fergus Green, Luke Bruce, and Chad Wingard, but Bruce and Wingard are going to be on their way out soon. And just their kicking accuracy as a whole has not been good. Giants favored by 29 and a half. At first, I was thinking that's a little high considering the first meeting, but it is in Sydney. I think this might be one of those games where the betters are looking at decent form more than anything. I could see this game being right around this 30-point window. I could also see it being closer. I like this line being where it is. It's hard to make real value statements on it until we get the lineups. I, I still think I would... Put this one a few points closer, maybe more in like the 22 and a half range. We got two games on Saturday night, and this first one, just in terms of play styles, sticks out to me as what should be a very boring, boring watch. A boring watch, but a crucial contest between fifth place St. Kilda and fourth place Melbourne at Marvel Stadium. Both of them nine and six after some less inspiring efforts this past week. The Saints won, but it did not need to be nearly as close as it was out west. And the Demons couldn't kick straight in Alice Springs and let themselves down in the Ford 50. And I thought their midfield wasn't as strong as it could have been outside of those immediate contests last week. Yes, he had a lot of high contested possession numbers for Jack Viney and Agus Brayshaw, but I didn't think their connections off of those contests were as strong as what the Giants had between Tom Green, Stephen Canelio, and Josh Kelly. You mentioned St. Kilda being in fifth, and with their recent form, as it looks like they're starting to regress, putting them in that position on the ladder 
is kind of starting to look like the what the hell is a polar bear doing in Arlington, Texas meme. How old is this? I do not remember this. I don't know, but it's funny. Yeah, I just, considering Ross Lyon on one side, Melbourne on the other, this is not a game that's probably going to be that exciting unless you get a close finish. I mean, there's plenty of potential for that, and Americans will be able to watch it on Fox Sports 2. It starts at 5.25 a.m. Eastern, 2.25 a.m. Pacific for us, 7.25 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. So 15 minutes before the other contest in the late Saturday window. Demons have a three-game head-to-head streak, including a pretty convincing 38-point win at the G last year in round eight. It was a game that they led by a lot more than that most of the way. I remember it was a game that it was really easy to tune out from. It might kind of be that way this week in terms of play style, but like with where these clubs lie on the ladder, it'll be hard to look away even still. I think the combination of games this Saturday, there's a chance both end up really bad. There's a chance both end up really intriguing, and I have no idea what we're going to get out of it. Do you think it's going to be binary like that where both are bad or both are good? No, not necessarily. I know, like, mathematically, the odds of one being good would be the most likely, but I, I get this feeling. I don't know. Guess we'll just have to roll the dice. The Saints have some injury questions after a number of key players fell injured last round. Some of them were able to play through. Brad Hill and Seb Ross were able to play through their knee injuries. Hills was suffered later on in the game, but Josh Battle was out concussed after a physical marking contest in which Oscar Allen took a really strong mark on him. So that's going to put some more pressure on Dougal Howard to perform well again. I thought Howard had... A bit of a bounce back game, maybe his best game in a few weeks. That was a mark of the week nominee, right? Yes, it was that uh, that Allen won over battle. I voted for that easily. Jimmy Webster stepping up would also be helpful. He's been, you know, a reliable depth guy. But if you're going to be playing without battle, someone's going to have to pull some more weight. And I think Webster could definitely be one of them. It could be Webster or maybe Zane Cordy if he returns after a stint in The VFL, you got a number of players you can look at to call up from Sandringham, including Cordy, Tom Hybor, Ben Patton, Zach Jones could finally come back. Meanwhile, on the forward side, Tim Membry's still down there. We have not seen him since he got concussed before the bye. I've said many times that I think Membry unlocks a lot for them. I'm always an advocate for him getting back in there. The question is, who do you slide back out? I mean, it's, it's hard when you've already got the forward mix they do. Maybe with how Mitch Owens can play over the full round, you're more able to take out someone like Marcus Windhager, who hasn't been as strong these past couple weeks. I'd be so against that. I've been yelling every week, play Windhager, play Windhager, play Windhager. So that would... I just don't think he fits Ross Lyon's system. And I hope Geelong find use for him. We have our share of taggers, but wouldn't be. A yes, but also those taggers are capable in other ways. We've seen that from Mark O'Connor this year in particular. I feel like Windhager probably has at least one more year at St. Kilda before moving on. He's got two more years left on his contract, so I guess that's more up in the air. The injury watch also continues for Hunter Clark. He's questionable in a potential return from a knee injury. And despite all the names we rattled off in this, the scenarios that we tried to play out, the names on the Demons injury list make them a more interesting puzzle. The Clayton Oliver, will he, you know, when the hell is he going to play saga continues. 
there was something with him kind of like getting into it with a member of the training staff or something. I know that he didn't complete training on Wednesday. And maybe there was maybe something instead of a frustration over that. As long as he takes an ice bath. If you don't take your ice bath, you're going to jail. Or Port Adelaide. Melbourne's going to be missing Bailey Fritch for probably like six, seven weeks after that foot fracture that cost him last week against the Giants. He got subbed out very early there. Uh, you could elevate Jake Melcham from the sub role. You could get Jacob Van Royen back in. I feel like Van Royen's got to come back in. Big fan of Ben Brown, or as I like to call him, Woke Wendy. What's up, Woke Wendy? But also, I don't know how you could possibly keep Van Royen out. Also, James Jordan, north of 40 disposals in the VFL. He could be another of those guys who takes the Toby Bedford route after this year. You know, go to a club where he's just going to play more. Did they say, like, north of in Australia when they're talking about uh, something being more than a certain number? Or did they say south of? I mean, you've seen the upside-down maps. I never considered that. That's actually a really good point. That's a more interesting question than the direction in which their toilet water spins. I don't care what way toilets spin. I care if you have a bidet. I'm a big bidet enthusiast. More than Randy Marsh? Ooh, I don't know about... We've got a debut on hand for Melbourne. Remember, they only debuted two players all of last year. They've blown past that this year. They've doubled it, in fact. Because now we've got Tajwo Woden making his debut after strong form with the KC Demons. He is, of course, the son of 2000 Brownlow medalist Shane Wowoden. Demons favored by 14 and a half, which I think is low. I think betters are a little shy after the way they played last week. I think Melbourne, even though they haven't played their best lately, lost four out of six. I think they come out angry and end up just proving that they're the better team. I think they'll win this one pretty convincingly as well. We'll be interested in seeing how their backline holds up against the likes of Max King and Mitch Owens. Bowie being undersized could hurt them a little bit in, in comparison to when Michael Hibbert is healthy. Mick remains on the sidelines with the kidney injury. He's a couple weeks out there. Maybe that's where Joel Smith has a more prominent man role. I don't know, maybe get Christian Salem or Stephen May to do something a little less zone-heavy there. That's another option. I like how Salem's played, by the way. I think he's someone that we've kind of taken for granted, but I think he's done a really nice job. The Salem leads that group of movers for them, along with Trent Rivers and Juddy McVie on the other end. So that's five games down, four to go. We will take care of the last Saturday game and the three on Sunday after this short break. As a reminder, we post pretty frequently on Twitter at Americans Footy with our thoughts during games and just whatever footy news pops up during the week. We're also on YouTube at that same handle. Individually, I'm on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. I'm on Twitter at Castle Media and Brian Harambe is on Instagram at CatNamedGrian. When I return home over the weekend, you might get a video of his reaction to seeing me. It honestly wasn't as grand as I expected last time. Yeah, that was only a week. This has been longer. Um, one other thing that I really like about social media and kind of the connections we've built through footy, you know, we've been able to talk American sports with some Australians. We've been able to learn more about Australian sports. And I'm left with a question, and I'm going to just throw it out right now. Are the British always such whiny little bitches during the ashes? Or is this like a particularly controversial series? I mean, there's the one stuffing that Carrie had of Bear Stowe, but I didn't think that was that controversial because 
Aristotle's tried to do that himself. It just seems like British whining like normal. I want to know, is this how they always are, or is this above and beyond? I hope they keep losing. I like when they get beaten at sports that they invent. Like, when you think about it, Rutgers football is, like, as British as it gets. For those of you who don't know about how football came about in the, in the United States, the first college football game was played between Rutgers University and Princeton University, both in New Jersey. And while Princeton can be somewhat good at the level at which they play in the Ivy League, Rutgers just gets clowned around in a major conference. Speaking of New Jersey, I saw this YouTube video tonight. It was like every New Jersey county and just like the stereotypes for each one. Really, really good. I might need to check this out. You should. Everyone's heard of New Jersey. It's a place that gets riffed on a lot. Having spent time there recently, most of it's not bad. There are, you know, every state has a couple of ghetto cities and New Jersey is no exception. Frankly, I think the thing that New Jersey should be insulted the most for is that they, that you can't pump your own gas there and you have to have an attendant do it. That's the power of the union there. It's the same way in Oregon. Oregon, though, I have been to a couple of stations in the middle of nowhere where I pump my own. I imagine you're able to pump your own gas in Australia in general, specifically in South Australia, where Port will take on Gold Coast at 7.10 p.m. local time Saturday night, so 7.40 p.m. Australian Eastern time. 5.40 a.m. Eastern, 2.40 a.m. Pacific for Americans on Fox Soccer Plus. Port and Gold Coast, you know the deal with them. Their first ever meeting, the Suns picked up their first win, and Port have won all 13 encounters since. In fact, the Suns have yet to win at the Adelaide Oval. They're 0-9. That's against both Port and the Pros, right? Correct. When these teams met last year, the Suns, nearly pushed their way back. They were playing the way, ended up losing by two. Todd Marshall kicked four goals. I remember it being a really good game. Back in the Collingwood game last year, we're like, man, the Suns are right there. They just don't know how to win these yet, unless Richmond gifted to them. And it's frustrating that the Suns are in a similar spot to where they were last year. And you wonder why the talk around Stuart Dew's future has started to come about again. I hope that the Suns don't bungle this whole process like Essendon did, where they openly court Damian Hardwick while Jews still under contract. The chief executive, Mark Evans, said he has not spoken to Hardwick and has back due, although that could be considered the good old vote of confidence. What he did say, though, is, you know, he was asked if results don't improve, would his support of due change? And he said, come back and ask me then, which I think is the right approach. Non-committal makes sense. Thinking back to that game last year in round 15, really tense final couple minutes. I remember Sam Powell Pepper put on a huge tackle of Tuke Miller to prevent the Suns from getting out. And then there was controversy in the final 15 seconds with Willem Drew getting a ball to the boundary. Carl Abel was right there. There was an argument to be made that it was deliberate to force a stoppage in the Gold Coast Ford 50. One way or another, the power held on. Port have a real question this week in terms of how they're going to handle Rucks because Scott Lysette is going to miss another week or two with the small cartilage tear in his knee. Remember, he failed that fitness test literally right before the bounce last week, and that's why Dante Vicentini came in as late as a late in could get for his debut. There was no jumbo presentation. Did they do that retroactively? People wouldn't. Is if they just presented it to him like on the field. 
what would be really fun is like, you know, you get soaked after that first win. You sing the song. Then they like have to peel the jumper off of him and present it to him. I like that idea. I actually really like that. Now I need to find out what Port ended up doing, if anything. Anyway, as well as Lysette had been playing, like we touched on during the round 16 recap, considering how much they've had to play without in the last couple of years, this is a team that is pretty well prepared for life without a Rockman. You couldn't have someone in there, you know, have Vicentini in and play to sub him out because you probably do want to have some sort of resistance to Jared Witz, or you can, you, you know, mix and match with Jeremy Finlayson and Todd Marshall and one of your, Charlie Dixon as well, of course. I like the idea of having Vizzatini in there at least for the first half or three quarters. I think a creative approach is key. I think something that keeps the Suns on their toes and keeps them guessing is a chance where Hinkley can really outcoach Stewart. It's going to be tough for Vizzatini to hold on to his spot despite the lack of ruck depth between thinking about Port having been ruckless at times last year, doing less orthodox things, and then also with Lockie Jones and Xavier Dersma potentially being available. Lockie should be available returning from his broken jaw, and then Dean Dersma's older son Xavier returned via the Sandful last week, as we expected him to. And we're definitely going to be talking more with Dean in these coming months between Xavier and Port and and how they fare the rest of the way, and his son Zane being one of the top draft prospects as well. I think this offseason is when we're really going to start to do more of the interview episodes and stuff. I think it's a little tough with our format and our schedules to do them in season, so I think the offseason is the time when you should really start to expect some episodes. Dean would be a great one for us to have on. Obviously, we'll get some more of our American funny friends on here, the likes of Coach Donnie Hess, Craig Wessels, Rick Shibani definitely want to repay Shannon Gill from Code Sport for doing his piece on us and Craig. I think the big one that you want on as well as well as me is uh, Phil Cox, though. Yes, I mean I'm sure Mason himself would be great, but Mason's talked about how his dad's such a huge fan of the sport, and I think it would be really fun just to get his perspectives. Anyway, the Gold Coast injury report for this week is really nothing to add. Just that all signs are pointing to Toot Miller's return, which would be enormous. You know, this is a team that the midfield has done pretty well in his absence, but you get him back, you really take things to a different level. Yeah, you saw the you saw the rise to prominence of Braden Fiorini these past few weeks. I said maybe you can start him a bit further back and he can retain his impact. Noah Anderson's been playing a bit further back, so maybe you have him kind of level with the stoppages and be one of those first movers off. Just Miller being back will restore the Suns to kind of their most natural structure, of course. And it could also make life even more difficult for the power at stoppages because Jared Witts isn't just a big body. He's really capable of getting hits to advantage. And against a less experienced and less orthodox ruck group, that could end up being a real problem with Tuke Miller in there along with Matt Rowley. I think the Suns could have a bunch of changes, not injury-forced, but they played like shit last week-forced. You've got guys like Tom Barry, Chris Burgess, Mabi Archol, Charlie Constable, and Alex Davies playing well at the VFL level. I have been very adamant that Chol should have never been taken out in the first place. You know, with how vulnerable they looked at times in the defensive 50, there's another name that I'm thinking of. Caleb Graham. Caleb Graham. 
yet to see the AFL level this year. I don't know how to read this line. Port favored by 29 and a half. Yes, I believe Port will win. I have no idea about the margin, though. Ethan, what are you thinking? I think this is fair. I maybe could see it being a little bit closer. I don't know. This is this is a tough game to read considering how bad the Suns looked last week and the Port lately have been in this disposition where it's like, man, it's it's got to break eventually. Something's got to give. On to Sunday footy, and as we talked about last week in the recap, we expect to kind of ease into the action with the Cats and North at Cardinia Park, 1.10 p.m. local time, so for Americans, 11.10 Eastern, 8.10 Pacific, late on Saturday on Fox Soccer Plus. The big storyline in this one, Zach Tui will be playing his 265th game and will surpass Jim Steins for the most games played in the VFL and AFL by an Irishman. The club's Twitter avatar this week is phenomenal. It's going to be a great celebration of someone who's not just been an iconic player, but a great personality. Just remember, the color is Moroccan sunset, just like how the Golden Gate Bridge is officially international orange. One of the best things coming out of last week's game against the Swans, other than two probably undeserved points, was a lack of injuries. Teams getting healthier heading into this week. Mark O'Connor should be back from, I don't know if they ever even specified, I think it was a calf injury, I'm not sure. Jeremy Cameron should be back from his concussion. I hope John Segler isn't considered for anything at any point, other than moral support. But sounds like he's close to being available, as is Toby Conway, who I'd much rather see in there if Reese Stanley, for some reason, couldn't play. Mitch Nevitt, O'Sheen Mullen, and Brandon Parfit played well in the VFL, but I am not of the belief that Parfit should get another AFL game unless something dramatically changes, because he just hasn't been up to that level this year. But there are some interesting lineup decisions. You know, what do you do with Mullen? Do you elevate Jack Bowes and maybe put a Saba Radagulay in the sub role. I actually kind of like the idea of a Saba as a sub. Even though I know he's really a defender at this point, he is someone who could play elsewhere if needed. I mean, he could be a mark anywhere. Don't don't ask him to kick. I have a feeling that they will get Mullen in as part of the whole Irish celebration. It just makes way too much sense to have all three Irishmen in if they're all good to go. I think you get Bows in your sub is either Mullen or Nevin. North obviously looking to have better results in this matchup than either of the games last year. They lost by 60 at Blumstone Arena in round six and by 112 at the Cattery in round 16. In those two games, Jeremy Cameron kicked a combined 11 goals, six, and Tom Hawkins, 10 goals, four. The Cats have won the last 10 meetings head to head. So, Ethan, you know how we talk about a lot of these guys listed in these, you know, in the mix Team Whisper articles, wondering when are they going to make their debut? We've seen their names on there for weeks. Well, Cooper Harvey is in. Son of Boomer, the all-time games played leader. And in fact, his dad's the one who broke the news to him that he'll be playing against the Cats. Shin boner number 1054. A number of injury questions for North this week. Tom Powell and Liam Shields are both doubtful. Powell injured his ankle. Shields has had ongoing troubles with his calf and a bit with his Achilles tendon. Wouldn't be shocked if they rested him with how 
volatile Achilles injuries can be. That could allow for the return of Dan Howe from the VFL. I would fully support the return of Josh Goder in defense. I had mentioned this last week. When he had gotten hurt in round three, it definitely took something out of their ability to match up with some talls. But my biggest point of interest for North's lineup decision this week is what they do with the Rucks because Tristan Cherry should finally come into consideration at the AFL level again after being injured in the opening round. Remember, he was in for round one ahead of Todd Goldstein, and that stopped Goldstein's pretty long games play streak and then suffered a severe syndesmosis injury. I think Alistair Clarkson is also starting his return to the club. I don't know how that all worked. Yeah, it's going to be within the next few weeks that he'll transition back to full-time head coach again. So not sure how much of a say he will have in personnel this week. If he does have more of a say, I would not be shocked if it is Jerry that gets the call. I know Geelong are obviously a better team than North Melbourne in most facets. But there is a, an element that concerns me against these guys. Their midfield's pretty good, and for a lot of this year, Geelong's midfield has not been good. So I get I get concerned, you know, what you got to do dealing with the Davies Uniac, Simpkin tandem, guys like that. The pressure that Hugh Greenwood can apply as well. I feel like I would fully support Mitch Nevitt being in the 22 to provide some of that countering ability, some of the defensive pressure that he can put on. What does make this game seem better on paper is that Geelong's got a good defense. Last couple of weeks have been pretty solid. Yes, last week they got bailed out some, but also did play a good second half. And I don't see too many people from North that can stop Geelong's best forwards. I think this can be a case where, again, a small forward can really wreck the Kangas, whether that's Brad Close continuing his form or Tyson Stengel getting back into this way of things. I would really like to see Jeremy Cameron reestablish himself and reannounce his presence because he had been trending downward before the injury a couple of weeks ago. So it would be nice for him to really bounce back. I'm not saying he's going to, but I would really like to see it. One other question I have entering this game. What the hell is Makai going to do when he's also got a game clear on the other side of the country not long after? How's that all? Uh, apparition? Maybe like a super version of the Concord flies him there. As I said, apparition. I'm talking about realistic things, okay? Because apparition is not realistic. Ben and Harry Mackay being the same person is realistic. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty tight window there. I mean, you maybe have an hour to get out west. Yeah, so please, let's stay grounded in reality here. Geelong are just over eight gold favorites as we record, so 48 and a half points. I mean, I, I think they will clean up, and I think they'll get a decent percent boost out of this. Question is, how hard are North going to play in the second half? Because I could see it holding close for maybe 15 minutes. I really hope that this game ends up being, you know, a nice appetizer to ease into what should be a really fun end to the round. Something worries me about this game being way closer than it should be. I don't know, maybe it's just, North playing that early Sunday game. I don't know. I know it's stupid, but I know that the other two Sunday games, at least on paper, look really, really fun, starting with Essendon hosting Adelaide at Marvel. The Bombers, you know, their groin area probably still pretty sore after taking that punch to the dick after the siren last week. Crows took a similar punch a couple weeks ago against Collingwood. So 
a lot of sore groins. Um, I've been told that applying Icy Hot to that area is a really bad idea. Never done it, but heard from others. Why does that feel like a comedy bit? I'm not sure, but apparently like it, it, it really hurts. When I just hear Icy Hot, I just instantly see Shaq. Oh, I do too. So this will be your typical middle-of-the-day Sunday game. Not often you get a Victorian team against an out-of-state team as that big Sunday 7 broadcast. So I really like this. And middle Sunday also means this is the Fox Sports 2 game. It'll be 3.20 p.m. at Marvel, 2.50 p.m. in Adelaide, 1.20 a.m. on the East Coast of the United States, and 10.20 p.m. on the West Coast. Both these teams at 8 and 7, the Bombers in 8, the Crows in 7th. These teams met also at Marvel last year, a game that the Bombers won by 4. I remember it being a fun, high-scoring game. Felt like it shouldn't have been as exciting as it was, but ended up being really good entertainment. And it was one of the, like, we really hadn't circled as like, oh yeah, this is going to be amazing. I mean, Essendon started the season 0-3, so we were feeling pretty down about their prospects. So maybe that was part of it. But Essendon kept up their head-to-head streak. They've won the last five meetings against the Crows. There was some late inaccuracy toward goal, but Sam Draper kicked what proved to be the game-winning goal, and Essendon held on in the final couple minutes. Of course, Draper will remain out this week. His hip injury is still an issue. I know it's risky, but I may just have to captain Riley O'Brien this week. Should have done it last week. How else should he get you? I mean, I won anyway, but O'Brien last week picked up 133 and had his first ever multi-goal game. He was my biggest performer last week, followed by Brennan Cox and then Joe Dan. It was Rowan Marshall who really cleaned up for me last week. And Jai Caldwell did some nice things as well. Caldwell prominent late with some accurate kicking before Dan Houston delivered the dick punch after the siren. In that game, Dylan Shield returned as the sub. He came in for Jai Menzi, which felt like a very weird pick for Menzi to be subbed out. He'd been one of the forwards with whom I'd actually been more okay during that game. I get that Brad Scott is backing in Sam Wiedemann, but he remains goalless in his past five games. He did take a little ruck time against the power, so maybe that's the merit of keeping him in. No pun intended with Essendon's captain there saying merit. And it makes sense that you want to preserve Peter Wright, considering he only recently still came back from that shoulder injury. Maybe your hands are a little tied there, but a whole lot of players are knocking on the door of the reserves. You can have Nick Bryan take some of that forward in ruck time. Obviously, a more natural ruck can provide some some better cover alongside Andrew Phillips. Obviously, we will advocate for the return of... Especially after he won Essendon a game after the siren of the reserves. Jason Horn Francis was available in our, in our league. Now he's not. You took him. Yeah, but I needed to drop Fridge. I got Caldwell. Caldwell's been really good for me as a mid-forward, so he's definitely taking that on. That also makes it easier for me to manage my check being out. And I should get Zorko back this week. Regardless of what Essendon decide with the rug, I will back in John Benzie to have a full game, especially with the Crows being further undermanned in defense. Yeah, Jordan Butts is in concussion protocol. Options include James Borlase, uh, what's Hamill's first name? I know it's not Mark. 
<laughs> is Will. There is a Mark in the in the mix, though. That be former Collingwood defender Mark Teague from County Cork. Really, the conversation in the tall defenders has been between maybe Keane getting his Crows debut or Orlais, who was born in Egypt, getting his league debut. I know you would have to go smaller with Patrick Parnell, but I think he's just the best option. He's definitely the most proven at that level. If you're willing to back in Josh Worrell and Mitch Hinge, then yeah, you could go smaller there with Parnell. The question is, is Hinge able to have a second good game in a row and against a tougher opponent? Frostball is dead. It's now Hingeball. And these injuries make him a more and more important player, which, you know, that, that comes with pros and cons. But as a neutral observer, can't really ask for much better, can you? Uh, Bombers favored by two and a half. I think with the defensive questions for the Crows, Essendon having the edge makes sense. I put Essendon in this category where I've kind of expected them to falter. And while they actually did play decently well last week, just big picture, I like Adelaide more here. I could be swayed either way. We'll get the extended benches on Friday, but my tip could be up in the air until I see the full, until I see the sub announcement an hour before bounce. We have a similarly intriguing game to round out round 17 as Fremantle host Carlton at Optus Stadium. Storyline there, Blake Akers playing against the Dockers for the first time after basically being given away. And also, obviously, Adam Chera returning to the West for the second time. But yeah, Akers is the story there. It was, a, I believe, a third-round pick they got for him. That is that is unders. Yeah, at, at, at the time of that trade, I think the, the reaction that we had, and I would assume most people had, was like, the fuck? Is that seriously all you're getting for a player who's that good? This will be a 2.40 p.m. local start in Perth, so hopefully no weird shadows. 4.40 p.m., in Victoria and the other eastern states, it'll be 2.40 a.m. on the east coast of the United States, and it'll be 11.40 p.m. Saturday on the west coast. These clubs are just two points apart. The Dockers at 11th at 7-8 and eight after losing to the Bulldogs for the second time this year. The Blues have played much better these past couple weeks, but the question is, how much of that is a result of who they were playing? Cleaning up against the Suns in round 14 before the bye, and then against Hawthorne last Sunday. You know how sometimes we come out of games with more questions than answers? I feel like it would be really hard to come out of this game with more questions than answers. So I want to think the exact same thing. So I want to know, describe a scenario in which we somehow come out of this game with more questions than answers. One word, draw. Okay, really, uh, Carlton kicking accurately, but still not winning. It would have to be like, all the things that Carlton should do well, they do poorly, and all the things they do poorly, normally do poorly, they do well. It's, it's got to be that sort of thing for both teams, especially for Carlton. It would have to involve, like, I don't know, um, you know, Caleb Sarong is non-existent, and yet, like, some other guys for Frio that you wouldn't expect really step up. I don't know. This was a double-up last year with the home team winning each time, Frio by 35 Carlton by 31. Both of those games were decided really by big second quarters. That was very typical for Carlton last year to have their second quarter end up defining a game, whether they get out to a good enough lead that they can hold on or whether they are already too distant at halftime. The Blues have won five of the last six meetings, so that blemish in 
round six, the first in a few years against the Dockers. One big injury for Frio has to be dealt with this week. That being that five, a stress fracture in his foot, right? Yeah, but it's the same foot where he'd had the plantar fascia issue that plagued him at the start of the season. We don't know if he'll be playing again this year. Will Brody could be the one to come in there. Maybe you get creative and find a way to work in Sam Sturr, elevate Neil Erasmus from the sub role. I'm thinking it's Erasmus and then Brady is the sub. What I like about Frio discussions in the last couple of weeks is people realizing how good Giannis has been and realizing like, yeah, this guy is a real part of the rising star conversation. He put up four straight last week. That was his second career four goal game. The first of which had come just three weeks prior. He's 19 and he's doing this. Carlton get Matthew Cottrell back from suspension this week, but looks like they won't know until Friday about the status of both Tom DeConing and Mark Pittnett, both dealing with knee injuries. That's just a real opportunity for Sean Darcy to really punish them again. Well, Darcy and Luke Jackson both, although I imagine, you know, if it is if they are as thin of the ruck as they were. Last week, with Lewis Young and Jack Sobani taking the hitouts, then you could really just keep Darcy in there and have Jackson as that center half forward where he's played his best this year and really challenging some of the Carlton halfbacks who have been up and down this year, guys like Mitch McGovern. Patty Dow played really well in VFL as usual, but he got concussed in the final minute. Also, Jackson Binge and Jesse Motlop played well there. Binge still yet to debut. Why do I see a sub-debut of the cards for him when he finally gets in? I mean, it's become more and more common. It's not like that's a super bold prediction. I would, you know, one thing, as much as I've made it clear, I am not a Carlton fan. It was nice seeing Jack Silvani play so well last week, and if you could get both him and Jesse Motlop clicking, that would make this team so fun to watch. Silvani, Motlop, and Cottrell continuing where he left off. Frio are favored by five and a half, which I'd probably push it out a little further, but I get it. I get it. Home route advantage is pretty big out west. And if, again, Carlton remained so banged up in the ruck, then I think it would be prime time for Luke Jackson to have one of his best games. He only had eight touches last week. I think him bouncing back is like a very common prediction this week. And that's another reason why I like the Dockers so much for this one. Yeah, I, w- I think they should be saved by a bit more than five and a half, but maybe you've just got a bunch of overconfident cards and fans coming off those couple of games. When they come crashing back down to earth, I want to tune into the Melbourne radio. We're going to wrap this thing up by predicting our main characters for the round. I'm going to go first, and I'm going to take, I'm going to take a really, really controversial one. Drum roll, please. Someone who has played for both the Dogs and Magpies. Pat Lipinski. Or Adam Trelor. Or Caleb Poulter, even. Any of those three. Yeah, that's a that's a decent amount of overlap. I'm I'm kind of saying the wide net here. It's one of the biggest games of the round. I would be very unsurprised if that ends up being being your main character. I'm going with the safe pick this week rather than a funny one. You know, thinking about which other players are gonna be playing against their former clubs this week. I bet a lot of people forget that Toby Dan Curvis started as a swan. You know what else I am going to make one more really bizarre main character pick, except this is the sort of thing that could probably happen in a state league game rather than an AFL game. I just want to see it happen. Is it some like weird oval invasion? Yes. By a guy with a metal detector. Why? 
you just walk the world with a metal detector, hoping to find, you know, buried treasure or whatever the fuck people with metal detectors try to find. And all of a sudden, he just walks out of the oval completely oblivious, like he's got his headphones in, like the delivery guy at the basketball game this past year in America. Except that was a prank. Uh, yeah, right. Did they get tossed for that? I don't know. It was funny, but I could see this happening, except it's genuine. It's not a prank. Not a fugaze. Trying to get back to thinking about like what other players we have played against their old sides this week. So Nick Curvis, Charlie Dixon against the Suns. I think there's potential for him to, to really go off. I'd love to see the Charlies go against each other, Dixon and Ballard. I think there's also potential for the entire country of Ireland. I would love for them to be completely on board with the proceedings in Geelong. That'll be early morning for them. I think that's a 4 a.m. start for them. Yeah, I want them to be, I want the entire country of Ireland, just like, you know, the entire Norwich City Council. I've already got one. My pick, you know what? Screw it. Riley Felthorpe, always a good option. I know that I'm picking a crow for the second week in a row, but it's a very gettable game. And with Phillips being the main ruckman, I think there's potential for Phil Thorpe to have a really prominent role, both covering for O'Brien and also just being on the end of some of their better offensive work. We'd had Walker showing up big time these past couple weeks. It's time for maybe some things to to shift him in for another target to, to get some good attention, like another tall target to really go off, especially against a smaller back group at Essendon. You know the drill. You can find us on Twitter at AmericanSpuddy. You can find me at Castle Media. I'm at BenjaminHK01. Brian Harambe the Footy Cat is under the bed and on Instagram at CatNamedBrian. And as is normal for me once I finish these recordings, I'm about to go to sleep.